0: We're in Revelation chapter 4. If you'll turn with me in. Revelation 4. On Wednesday nights, we're focusing in depth off of a section from our weekend study. So tonight we'll be looking at verses 8 through 11. But I'd like to read the whole chapter, be reminded of the beautiful, amazing throne room of God. And then we'll pray together. So verse 1 of Revelation 4. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven. One sat on the throne, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, an appearance like an emerald. Around the throne was twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones they saw twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes, "...around and within. And they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. How did you do with throne room living this week? (laughs) Saturday, Sunday, if you were here with us, we talked about beholding the throne room of God, having a vision of the throne, that this life really comes into view when we're beholding the throne room of God. I don't know about you, but it's so easy to not live there Monday through Friday. As we're midweek, we need to be reminded, hey, Jesus is sitting upon his throne. His throne is set. So let's pray and ask that the Lord would really take us to his throne once again. Jesus, we come before you and we thank you in all the craziness of this world and the craziness of our lives. You are seated upon your throne. Your throne is set. We also thank you that your throne is our ultimate destination as believers. We look forward to the day that we're going to be with you. Also thank you that we're welcomed to your throne, your throne of grace. Would you help us to really find and discover what our purpose is in this life? We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I have made an observation of our culture, the United States of America, right now, October 2021, is we seem extremely bored as a culture. You just look at people and they're just, I don't have anything to do. They're walking around looking for something to do. And I don't know if COVID has just kind of numbed us to sleep or. Our screens have finally got the best of us but people are asking this question of what is my life all about what's the purpose of my existence here and in this section of Revelation with the 24 elders we find what our purpose is for us as believers and living life with purpose there's nothing like it to really know this is where I came from. This is where I'm going. And this is why I'm here. God has me here for this specific reason of worship. That's the purpose of our existence. As we see this beautiful setting of the throne room of God, the living creatures are there and they're worshiping the Lord constantly, not resting, holy, holy, holy. This then spurs on the 24 elders to lay down their crowns at the feet of Jesus in worship. It's in worship that we find our purpose. This verse 11 that we end with, it says, You are created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. The purpose for our existence is to worship the Lord. So we're going to delve deeper into this purpose tonight, found in these 11 verses, and first look at rejoice in the worthiness of Christ. Look at what was expressed by the 24 elders. It says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. When we think about our purpose, when we think about worship, it's all rooted in the worthiness of Christ, the majesty of who Jesus is. In Revelation 4 and Revelation 5, what we'll get to this weekend is there is this scroll That's sealed, and only Jesus is worthy. Only Jesus is able to open this scroll to purchase us back from our sins. When John the Baptist announced Christ publicly, he sees Jesus coming and he declares, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In another way, in another verbiage, he's saying, Jesus is worthy. Throughout the Old Testament, we have all of these sacrifices, animal sacrifice to cover sin. But it could never remove sin. And here, John the Baptist is saying, look at the lamb. This is the ultimate lamb that is slain for our sins. He is worthy to be able to cleanse us, forgive us, remove our sins from us. In the worthiness of Christ, we see Jesus as God. He is God. He is the creator. He spoke all things into existence. It's fun to study astronomy, to study the stars, the galaxies, even the sun and the massiveness of, of the sun. God spoke all of that into existence, and we haven't even come close to finding the end of the galaxies, It's almost as if God has created stars that no one will see except for him himself. He's that powerful. The oceans declare his glory. The mountains declare his glory. The the change of seasons, you declare his glory. Jesus is the creator. And as the creator, he stepped down into human flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The mystery of the incarnation. That he's all God, but he's all man. He's the God-man. We struggle with trying to put this into perspective of what this may be like, that that God would come in human flesh. To some degree, it might be you get to heaven and the Father says, you know what? I've got an assignment for you. You need to become an ant. You need to step into the form of an ant and sacrifice yourself for, for these, these ants. There's, there's no comparison of what it was for Christ to come in human flesh. He came for the purpose to save us for our sins, to die for my sins upon the cross. So he's God who became man, who really lived his life in rejection and obscurity. His own family rejected him. His hometown rejected him. He worked as a carpenter with his hands. Most of his life was filled with mundane work. He can relate to Monday morning. He can relate to pounding the pavement. He was tempted in his humanity in all ways like us. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted with sin. Tempted with lust, tempted with anger, tempted with bitterness, yet he never sinned. But he understands, he can sympathize with our sin. This is the degree that he was humbled. Who did he choose to be his disciples? Not the renowned, not the educated, not the famous Peter, James, and John. Fishermen, ordinary knuckleheads like us went to the cross. God became man who was then humbled upon the cross. We get a window into Jesus' agony in the garden of Gethsemane where he prays to the Father, Father, if if there's any other way possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. There's the physical torture of the cross the physical humiliation of having his clothes ripped off of being scourged whipped 39 times the crown of thorns placed upon his head spit upon his beard being ripped out his disciples forsaking him except for john the disciple being nailed to the cross suffocating but there's also the spiritual aspect of where he who knew no sin became sin for us. All of my sin, internally and externally, Jesus took upon himself and was punished by the Father for my sin. But not just my sin, but the sin of the whole world. He's the propitiation. He appeased the wrath of the Father for the sin of, of the whole world. Just to take the sin of us here together, online and in person overwhelming the sin of colorado springs overwhelming the sin throughout all of history overwhelming and yet he did that because he's worthy he alone is is worthy was buried for three days but the grave and sin did not get the final word for christ he rose from the dead to where, when they came to the tomb, they found it empty. His grave clothes had been neatly folded and placed in the tomb. It's one of the evidences that he's the Son of God because Jesus folded his laundry. So, so guys, that's a lesson for us, right? The tomb was empty. He appears first to Mary Magdalene. He says, I go to my father and your father. He accomplished his purpose. He accomplished the joy that was set before him. Mary Magdalene now is in a father relationship with God. She's the daughter of God because of the worthiness of Christ. Then he ascended from Mount Olives. he, He ascended to be seated next to his father on the throne where he intercedes for us until he returns, where he'll return on the Mount of Olives, where he's going to kick a can, where he's going to rule and reign over all of this nonsense. The 24 elders seeing Jesus rejoice in his worthiness, and they respond to it. And if we're going to understand our purpose of why we're here, we have to live in the worthiness of Christ. We have to rejoice in the worthiness of Christ and who He is because it's His love, His grace, His kindness. But God demonstrated His love towards us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. When I didn't want anything to do with Jesus, He wanted everything to do with me and I want to worship Him. I want to lay down my life for Him. But if we don't understand His worthiness, we're not going to be moved to genuine worship. The worship's going to be a have-to instead of a want-to. You're going to hear requirement instead of love. We're won by the love of Christ. We love Him because He first loved us. So the 24 elders, they see the worthiness of Christ, and then this leads to them casting down their crowns. Let's look a little closer here at verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever... The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. Number two, in finding our purpose, we rejoice in the worthiness of Christ, number one. But number two, we understand the value of eternal crowns. We understand the value of eternal crowns. The 24 elders had lived their lives in such a way, we don't know who they are, but they had been rewarded graciously by God with a crown. Jesus is so wonderful, so great, so overwhelmed with Jesus, they take the crown and they put it down at the feet of Jesus. So let's look in depth tonight what the Bible says about these eternal crowns. There's five different crowns that are listed for us in the Bible But before we get into these crowns, let's think about what Jesus said about eternal reward. He encouraged us to lay up your treasure in heaven where moth and rust and thieves don't threaten your treasure. Earthly treasure doesn't last. Moths are going to get it. Rusts are going to get it. Thieves are going to get it. One of my prized, quote-unquote, earthly possessions is my 78 Chevy k-10 pickup truck that's a rust bucket right the biggest battle I've got with that thing is is rust my 11 year old daughter she's always saying dad can I have your truck someday and I want to tell her baby girl it's not going to be around for you someday this thing is rusting out before our, our very eyes right And so Jesus says why are you putting all your energy into this earthly treasure that's going to be destroyed when you could lay up for yourself eternal treasure. And he gives us a key understanding where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God wants our treasure in heaven so that our heart will be in heaven as well. And he instructed us, this is how you store up treasure in heaven. By giving, giving financially. When you give money to the work of the Lord, you're laying up treasure in heaven. By serving, when your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing, when your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing, and you're, you're serving in secret, your father sees, and he's going to reward you openly. So when you do the simplest thing for the father in service, you're laying up treasure in heaven. It's not a waste of time. You're storing up heavenly treasure. When you pray, God's going to reward you. You prayed in secret, God's going to reward you openly. In the gospel of Luke, Jesus speaks about a man who was blessed financially. Oh, that sounds good. In fact, he was blessed so much financially that he's like, I got to build a bigger storehouse. One bank account's not enough. I got to open up another storehouse. So he opens up another storehouse, but he didn't take into account that that night, God was going to require him to give an account for his soul. And this is what Jesus instructed him. He says, So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Jesus is saying, You're so busy with all of your earthly treasures and storing up more earthly treasures, and then you died. What are you going to do with all those earthly treasures? It would have been better for you to be rich towards God. So not wrong to be responsible with earthly finances. I think the Bible teaches that. But even more so than that, to realize, man, am I living for this eternal reward? Now, now hear me out on this. Jesus is worthy. When we see him, we're going to want to have stuff to lay at his feet. That's why the eternal reward's going to matter. Is we're gonna go wow Jesus, you you are so gracious and you are so good and you are so kind and you forgive me of all my sins. I am so glad that I served you with my time. I'm so glad that I served you with my money. I'm so glad that I I served you with my whole entire being. You were so gracious to give me this crown and I wanna lay it at your feet. That's the that's the value of the eternal crown. So now what are these different crowns in the Bible? The first is the imperishable crown, and it's in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. You can turn there if you'd like. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, the imperishable crown. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who... Pete's for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Let me be loud and clear tonight these crowns are not for salvation. Salvation is found in the blood of Jesus. It's found in the worthiness of Christ. These crowns are a reward. When Paul is writing, there was the Greek Olympic Games. If you were the crowned victor, you would have a crown that was made of leaves, and people made tremendous sacrifice to win that crown, And Paul's saying there is an imperishable crown that can be attained, so live your life with self-control. Runners would have great self-control and great discipline because they wanted a perishable crown. How much more so for us do we want to allow the Spirit of God to discipline us so that we can pursue this imperishable crown? And Paul highlights here, he says, that he lives his life with clarity. He's not just beating the air. And he disciplines his body, bringing it under subjection so that he's not disqualified. He he actually lived his life saying, I want this imperishable crown. I want this heavenly reward. I want to lay up treasures in heaven just like Jesus taught me. So it's worth sacrifice. It's worth discipline. It's worth the Holy Spirit doing that work in my life where i 'll give money i 'll give time i 'll give resources i 'll allow the Lord to take control of my body so that he can be glorified. The second crown I really like is the crown of rejoicing first thessalonians two verse nineteen again it 's Paul writing Paul thought a lot about these crowns first thessalonians two nineteen he says For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? The crown of rejoicing is a fellow believer, brother or sister in Christ, a fellow person that you invest in. Paul invested in the church of Thessalonica, and he's saying, you're my crown. (laughs) You're my crown of rejoicing when I get to heaven. I'm going to be so thankful of what God did in your life. So it doesn't matter if it's a believer or an unbeliever. When you invest in a person in the name of Jesus Christ, with the love of Jesus Christ, and they accept Jesus as their Savior, that's the crown of rejoicing. Church, this is one of the greatest experiences of life, is to see somebody be born again and know Christ their Savior. Amen? And for God to use you as part of that process. It's one of the greatest things in life to be able to come alongside a fellow brother or sister in Christ and love them, invest them, pray for them, at times challenge them. And when you get to heaven, you get to be part of the rejoicing. You get to be part of the party. (laughs) They're your crown of rejoicing wow, that's awesome. And that, that's powerful. If you're making an investment in someone and you're not seeing the fruit right now, you're investing in an unbeliever and it doesn't seem to be having any impact. You've been coming alongside a believer and there doesn't seem to be any growth. Hey, it's worth it. They're your crown of rejoicing. The third crown is the crown of righteousness. And this comes from 2 Timothy 4 Verse eight, And it's the end of Paul's life. It's his last letter. He's about ready to be executed in prison for Christ. And he says, I have kept the faith. I finished the race. And there's a crown of righteousness that's laid up for me. But this crown of righteousness is also for those that love is appearing. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also those who have loved his appearing. We know we're righteous in Christ through the blood of Jesus, but there seems to be a special crown of reward that God gives to those that love his appearing, the crown of righteousness. Church, this is an easy one to earn right here. All you got to do is be stoked about Jesus coming back and love his appearing. Look for his appearing. Understand that all that's happening in the world, past, present, and future, is leading up to the exclamation point of Jesus coming back. Jesus, I love your appearing. Jesus, I'm, I'm looking for your appearing. That's easier said than done. As we live our lives and go through the challenges of daily life and bills and laundry and all of the tasks, it's easy to forget about the coming of the Lord. It's easy to stop loving his appearing. Don't let anybody ever mock you that you're looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. Say, that's fine, you can mock me. Sometimes even believers will go, are you one of those that believes Jesus is coming back? Yeah, I do. You know, I do. I love his appearing. I'm looking forward to it. I long for this crown of, of righteousness, the gracious reward that God gives. The fourth crown is the crown of life. It's mentioned in James 1 and also Revelation 2. This is James 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he is approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown of life is to believers, to believers that have trusted Christ for salvation, that love the Lord. As you love the Lord, then he gives the crown of life to you. Revelations 2, verse 10 says, Be faithful unto the end, and I will give you the crown of life. The last crown is the crown of glory, and it's 1 Peter 5. And it's written to elders, and it's written to to pastors, saying to elders and pastors, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The crown of glory is the one that God gives for serving. For serving his people. You may be a pastor, you may be an elder, you may not be a pastor or an elder, and you just have a heart to love the body and serve the body. You're investing in fellow believers. The crown of glory is for you. When the chief shepherd appears, he's going to say, thank you for caring for my sheep. So keep loving and caring for his sheep. So purpose. When we think about purpose, the purpose in this life is not to try to get as comfortable as we possibly can. Amen. The purpose in this life is to see the worthiness of Christ. Oh, you love me. You died for me. You died for the world. Someday I'm going to be at your throne. And when I'm at your throne, I want something to lay at your feet out of appreciation of what you you have done for me. So I'm living my life for you. I'm willing to give. I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to pray. I want my life to be a living sacrifice. I want it to be an expression of worship. I'm going to sing to you. And God in his grace doesn't owe us anything. Even the reward is an expression of his grace. But out of his grace, he goes, okay, thank you for serving me. Thank you for investing that time. Thank you for investing that money. Thank you for giving your life as a living sacrifice. And none of us do this perfectly. No way. But God in his grace rewards. This was important to Jesus. He talked about this a lot, of laying up treasures in heaven, and I don't fully get it. I'll be honest with you. I I don't fully understand this, but I can tell you from a biblical perspective, from the scriptures, we're going to care about it in eternity. First Corinthians talks about our lives are going to pass through a fire, and it's not judgment for salvation, but it's judgment for a reward. And as our life passes through this fire, some is going to come out as precious gems, a reward that gets to be laid at the feet of Jesus. But others is going to be burnt up. It, it's going to be wasted. And the scriptures tell us we're going to suffer loss. At that moment, we're going to realize it and go, Oh, I wish that I would have seen this more clearly. I was selfish. I was focused on myself, my kingdom, instead of God's kingdom. And there was this big portion of my life that was burned up. But oh, Lord, thanks for redeeming this portion and giving me the wisdom to, to live for you. So if we can grasp this now and go, oh, this is my purpose. My purpose is to see the worthiness of Christ and worship him. For this sake of eternal reward that God would be glorified, we would be wise. So we get to the last verse, verse 11. Let's look at verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. In finding purpose, number three, live your purpose. And you're like, Eric, what in the world are you talking about? Live your purpose. Well, verse 11 tells us that we're created by God and we exist for Him. Another way to put this is that we exist for His pleasure. We exist for worship. So live in your purpose. Live in the reason that you were called. I think to some degree we've been lied to in American culture where we think that life is all about Being able to do something for work that you find meaning in. So, we strive with everything that we can to find a job that we love, to find a job where we can use our talents and we can use our abilities. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We live in an amazing country, we have a lot of opportunities. And if you can do something for work that you enjoy, by all means, do it. But, how many people are doing a job that they enjoy? but they're still completely empty and find their lives to be meaningless. How many pro athletes are really satisfied that they would say, I've discovered my my purpose in life? Now think about it this way. There's a lot of believers throughout history that didn't have the opportunity to do jobs that they enjoy and were completely satisfied in Christ. There were believers that had to lay down railroad tracks across the United States of America and didn't enjoy getting up and going to work but knew their purpose was to worship God and went and did their work under the Lord in the joy of the Lord and were a witness to unbelievers and they lived out their purpose does that make sense we can live out our purpose no matter what our job is you can go to a job that you love and live out your purpose which means to be a worshiper under Jesus Christ you can go to a job that you love and not be a worshiper and completely miss your purpose. You can go to a job that you absolutely hate. You hate it. It's difficult. You don't get to use your gifts and talents. It's mind-numbing. And worship the Lord and live out the purpose that God has, has called for you. Some of you might feel like, man, my purpose in life is to be married and to have kids and marriage and kids is a blessing from the Lord, but it's not your ultimate purpose. You're going to be really let down if you're going like, man, my whole thing in life is being married and having kids, and when I'm married and have kids, I'm going to be totally satisfied. Well, your future spouse and kids were never created to fully satisfy you, and God may or may not allow for you to be married. But guess what? You can fulfill your purpose, and that is to be a worshiper of God. There's a lot of single people who have lived out their purpose to be a worshiper, to saying, I'm taking my place. This is why I was called. This is why I was created. I'm going to be a worshiper, and if the Lord allows me to be married, great. If he doesn't allow me to be married, great. Our purpose is is not what we do or what we have, it is our relationship with God. It's understanding, oh Jesus, you're worthy, you created me, and I'm living for you. So what this might look like is we wake up in the morning and we go, Jesus, you are awesome. You died for me, you rose again, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, you're worthy, I give you praise, and I want to live for you today. I want to serve you today. I want to give you honor today. I don't want to be about myself. I want to be about your kingdom. Guess what? That's your purpose. That's your purpose. That's what verse 11 tells us. That's what the 24 elders understood. My purpose is worship. This is why I was created. In a way that we'll understand in a much greater, deeper way when we get to heaven is this purpose for worship for all of eternity we're going to fulfill this purpose for which we are designed and that's to worship God. That's to bow down before him and go Jesus you're worthy. Every blessing that you've placed in my life I'm putting at your feet. So how do we do this practically? One of the ways is to sing. One of the ways is to sing to the Lord. In this Revelation 4 it's all over the text as they see the glory of god they can't help but sing holy 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 worthy is the lord to give him him praise and adoration throughout the day it's it's a good habit to be into to give the lord the sacrifice of praise to sing to him now some of us are are more wired for this than others now now i'll be honest I, I do enjoy singing to the Lord, but it's an area that I need to grow in. At the pastor's getaway and the staff retreat, some of the, the staff members, they were just ready to worship all night long and just sing to the Lord at the campfire all night long. And I, I was like four songs into it, and I'm like, I'm ready to go to bed. You know, like, I like singing, but sometimes I don't like singing that much, right? Right? And my mind starts to wander and I get fidgety and it's like, can we wrap this thing up, you know? I need to grow in in singing to the Lord. God's created me to sing to him and not just at a church service, but throughout the day. To offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice is a good habit and discipline to get into. Lord, my eyes belong to you. My ears belong to you. My mind belongs to you. My hands belong to you. My feet belong to you. My days belong to you. My life belongs to you. Because the problem with a living sacrifice is we can crawl off the altar. So daily choosing to sing, daily choosing to be grateful, and daily being willing to put ourselves on his altar. And Jesus was so wise in the way that he taught us to serve him by praying. By giving financially, it's it's an act of worship. By serving, it's an act of worship. But it's really this this vertical view of life. It's you, Jesus. It's you. It's not this earthly view of life, this horizontal view of life. We're not looking to this life to find our purpose. We're, We're looking to Jesus i are saying, Jesus, it's you. You are worthy. I'm going to spend all of eternity for you, so I'm going to serve you in the here and now. It's not that the horizontal doesn't impact or the vertical doesn't impact the horizontal, it does. When we get vertical, it impacts the way that we live our life. Eternity is not disconnected from the here and now. When we understand eternity, we say, Lord, I want to serve you. This will free us up this will free up our days. You're in a really tough job with a tough boss. You can still fulfill your purpose. Your purpose was not just to have a great job, to use all of your talents. That's the American dream, and it's a lie. Your purpose is to worship Christ as your Savior. Your purpose is not to have a family, to have a spouse, and have a kid. That's a blessing. God may allow it for you, But your purpose is to be a worshiper, even before it's to be a husband, a wife, a mom, or a dad. Your purpose may be to be a Republican or to be a Democrat. You're going to have a tough couple of years. I'm just going to be honest with you, right? Now, do we need to be engaged politically? Absolutely, more so than ever. And and vote the Bible and, and vote your convictions. And it has a great impact. But I hope that you're something deeper than a Republican. I hope that you're something deeper than a Democrat. I hope that you're a lover of Jesus. I hope that you're a worshiper of Jesus because I got news to you. Jesus is going to outlive the Republican Party. He's going to outlive the Democratic Party. He's going to outlive any other party, right? It's him. It's getting that vertical view of him and saying, Jesus, you're worthy, so I'm choosing to live for you and you're not going to regret it. In eternity you're not going to regret it. God's going to graciously reward you, and you're going to have those crowns, that treasure to lay at the feet of Jesus. Would you stand with me, and let's pray together. Oh, Jesus, we just confess to you that so many times we're short-sighted. We're nearsighted. We don't see your throne We don't see you seated upon the throne. We don't see your worthiness. But tonight, Jesus, we just express that you are worthy. You're the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, I didn't deserve for you to take my sin, but I'm so thankful that you did. And we want to respond in authentic worship to you, even tonight, to sing to you, to draw near to you, and to be open to how the Spirit would lead us. So we present ourselves to you afresh as a living sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.